going on 14 i am mike i am patrick i'm joel and i'm josh and this year we are kicking off october with rosemary's baby you know in 1968 filmgoers wondered how roman polanski presented such an accurate picture of domestic abuse and sexual assault now that's one fucking mystery solved (laughs) kick the baby don't kick the baby hail satan well no that's out of the way oh no there's gonna be a lot of that (laughs) No, I was talking about Josh. I was, I was oh. wondering how we were going to breach that subject, but <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're going to lead with that. Yeah, we're definitely going to lead with that. Let's get that yeah. out of the way. And if you like uncomfortable directors, you might find some on Geek Life Radio. I hope not. Don't go at to Hollywood in... if you like uncomfortable. At least not on all things Transformers, the Anime Trap House, HTML, all the things, and of course, Geek Life Radio's own Rad Dead Radio Hour, the Smorgasbord. Is that the fight music from Star Trek? No, 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 no. Wait, what'd you guys do last week when I wasn't here? Did you figure it out? You didn't. You didn't listen to the show. No, I had a chance. Rude. Was that Cinderella? Yeah, yeah. That was the one where I just did some random. Hey, that's it. Oh. So we decided that was it. You know, while you were gone. Damn, this week has been a long goddamn month. No shit. Cinderella seems like forever ago. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're looking for uh, more of our older shows, you can find us on Google, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. We are on our home at Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podcast Addict. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you can give us a call at 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727. And you can also join the Discord chat that we have going on by clicking the Join Us link in the show notes or uh, on the Contact Us button on Facebook. And holy crap, the Discord chat, it is very specific. So whatever topic you want to discuss, there's a room for it. Yeah, we've got like eight different channels now. Yeah, we got to a point where like random crosstalk of uh, comparing craft beers or uh, food that we had on vacation or video games or workout tips. We have a whole channel just listed as stuff that Pat has seen before. <laughs> <laughs> I will die on this hill. Nothing new. Pat has seen everything. <laughs> but yeah, so come join us. It's a good yeah. time. Good chat. Good conversation. We're talking about uh, coffee and caffeine today. That was a big chat. And what happens when you've had too much? I personally start going blind. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had too much. Too much caffeine? Oh, you would know. Yeah, <laughs> you, you'd know. I mean, when I drank your Kool-Aid, that was a sugar reaction that I had when I was stuttering. That wasn't yeah. a caffeine reaction. Right. I, yeah, there's no, I mean, there's no caffeine in Kool-Aid. I tend yeah. to get cold sweats. My heart goes a little too fast, and uh, I feel a little nauseous, but it didn't I happen very like often. I feel like I can't blink. Yeah, <laughs> I, go, I go blind in my right eye, which, which speaks to how much caffeine I could, I'm taking in, I think. I mean, I can handle a lot in a long period of time, but... Yeah, you can. Yeah, Wait. that's what she said. What? Wait, what? But yeah, all, all at once, like heavy, heavy doses. Nah, nah, nah. Don't like it. Don't like it. 
<sighs> Don't like it for that. So, Josh, that. think it's about that time? It's about that time. This weekend, music, <laughs> movies, <laughs> and TV. And sports! Uh, I miss that so much. The Josh Dubstep remix from the I, vaults. Yeah. Uh, I want. I figured I'd do that one for for uh, Octoboo. 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 Oh, he, he was so nice and didn't do it, and then you had to go and call it out. I wasn't going to do it. I, You know, I almost said it in my couch gag, but I didn't want you, like, interrupting me in the middle of the start of the show and throwing me <laughs> off my game. Yeah. Otherwise, I would have led with an Octoboo. I never interrupt, sir. You interrupted me twice tonight. <laughs> a couple no. shows ago, that was the whole theme of the of the show: interrupting Josh <laughs> for <laughs> nothing. Moo. <laughs> All right. All right. So this week, June twelfth, nineteen sixty-eight, the release of Rosemary's Baby. Hail Satan! All right. So, uh, music. Hail the Adrian. The number one song in the land was "Mrs. Robinson" by Simon and Garfunkel. Here's to you, Mrs. Robinson. Where have you gone? Wasn't there? I love there, that song. Yep. It's a great song. Wasn't there like an mm-hmm. interview with Joe DiMaggio where he was like, they're singing about me on this song. They want to know where I've gone. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm yeah. right here. No, he, he actually had a little like mini altercation with Paul Simon where mm-hmm. they, they ran into each other. And DiMaggio was all like, you know, what the hell is with this writing this crap about me? And Paul Simon had to explain what metaphors were to him. Yeah, uh, Paul Simon talked about it in an interview. Okay. Yeah. It's. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? That sounds about right. <laughs> All right. So uh, this week, the Rolling Stones released the album Jumpin' Jack Flash and Iron Butterflies in Agata De Vida was also released. It sounds like rock and or roll. <laughs> yeah, I almost wrote that in there. Iron Butterfly. <laughs> but I did not. In Agata De Vida, baby. Jesus Christ, Patrick, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, my God. I just I just scrolled down. What right, the hell? Take, take a deep breath. What did I do to you? Bite the pillow. <laughs> Hold on, let me get a bigger pillow. <laughs> All right. So Tracy Lynn Curry, born June tenth, is better known by a stage name, the DOC. He is an American rapper, songwriter, and record producer. In addition to a solo career, he was a member of the Southern hip hop group Feel a Fresh Crew and later collaborated with gangster rap group NWA, where he co wrote many of their releases. He had worked with Easy on a solo debut album, Easy Does It, and Dr. Dre co writing a solo debut album, while Dre produced Curry's solo album, de- solo debut album. Good lord. All right. He was one of the founders of Death Row Records along with Dr. Dre and Suge Knight. After Feel a Fresh Crew split up in 1988, the DOC went on to pursue a successful solo career. In 1989, he released his debut album, No One Can Do It Better, which reached number one on the U.S. top R&B hip-hop albums chart for two weeks and spawned two number one hits, It's Funky Enough, and The DOC and The Doctor. The album went platinum five years after its release. In late 1989, months after the release of No One Can Do It Better, the DOC suffered a serious car crash that resulted in the crushing of his larynx, permanently changing his voice. Since his accident, he has released two more albums, Helter Skelter in 1996 and Deuce in 2003. His voice was reported to be 70% recovered as of 2009. In 2015, he claimed his voice was fully recovered. And apparently that's the end of the story. So hmm. it's all about the DOC. You can cut some of that. Shit. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You all right there, Joel? Oh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I only made one mistake. So, you know, I'm pretty happy with that. 
<laughs> and it wasn't even a mistake so much as I just stumbled a little. Like, I'll, 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 I can take it. All right, moving on. Robert Vaughn Bobby Sheehan was born June 12th. Oh, I love Bobby Sheehan. He was an American musician and songwriter best known as a founding member and bassist of Blues Traveler. He died of an accidental overdose of heroin, cocaine, and Valium in Jesus Christ, 1999. Wow. I didn't realize he had died. Really? Wow. Yeah. Hmm. Big fan, huh? No, no. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think I could have named uh, any non-John Popper members right. of the Traveler. <laughs> just, just casual. It's John Popper and, and the rest of them. And the harmonica. That's it. That's all I know. And the vest. Yeah. All right. And finally, John Leslie West Montgomery was a jazz guitarist known for an unusual technique of plucking the strings with the side of his thumb and his extensive use of octaves, which gave him a distinctive sound. Montgomery often worked with his brothers Buddy and Monk and with organist Melvin Ryan. His recordings up to 1965 were oriented towards hard bop, soul jazz, and post bop, but around 1965 he began recording more pop-oriented instrumental albums and found mainstream success. His latter guitar style influenced jazz fusion and smooth jazz. He died of a heart attack on June 15th while at home and was promptly absorbed. Rest in peace, Wes Montgomery. Don't think I'd ever actually heard of him. Are you familiar with him, Joel? Oh yeah, yeah. I sold a lot of his records at the store. Hmm. Or records he was on. I might even have one downstairs. I'm not 100% sure. I might, too. <laughs> but I feel like there is. Because he, he, he... Yeah, I don't know why. I'll have to take a look at some point. All right. While he's looking, we'll move on to movies. Not now. The number one movie in the land was The Graduate, starring Dustin Hoffman and Anne Bancroft at the end of its 13-week run. Speaking of Mrs. Robinson. Moo. Now it's time for my magnum opus. The uh, Dan DeRio was an American actor in film, stage, and television. Known for portraying a vast range of character roles as a villain, he had a long career in a wide variety of leading and secondary roles. As his parents did not approve of his choice to pursue an acting career, Dorea became an advertising executive. After six stress-filled years, he had a heart attack and returned to acting. Dorea made his name on Broadway in the play Dead End, followed by The Little Fox's Many Mansions in Missouri Legend. In 1940, Dorea moved to Hollywood to appear in the film version of The Little Foxes. He continued to establish himself with supporting and secondary roles in films such as Pride of the Yankees, None But the Lonely Heart, Scarlet Street, Woman in the Window, Crisscross, and Johnny Stool Pigeon. As the 40s progressed, he found his niche as the sniveling, deliberately taunting antagonist in a number of films, uh, noir and westerns. Uh, Dorea co-starred opposite Gary Cooper and James Stewart in three films each. He also starred in television television series such as the lead character in the television show China Smith and the New Adventures of China Smith. Other TV shows he appeared in were Cimarron City, Wagon Train, The Twilight Zone, Rawhide, Laramie Riverboat, Peyton Place, and The Alfred Hitchcock Hour. In his last years, he also appeared twice on the big screen with his son, character actor Peter Dorea, in the low-budget westerns Taggart and the Bounty Killer. He died of cancer on June 7th. Absorbed. By the way, Johnny Stoolpigeon band name called it. <laughs> Holy shit. But yeah, you, you would recognize this guy, especially you, Mike, if you looked him up. Oh, I'm sure I would. Just no, known as like a like a C, B, C list, probably a B list villain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he got a big. Yeah, he looks like um, uh, in the one image on his Wikipedia, he looks like uh, God, what's that Dick Tracy villain uh, that has a big flat flat top. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say he's the equivalent of, of, of like a, a Kurt Wood Smith. OK, cool. All right. So TV top shows in the land were Rowan and Martin's Laughing, Gomer Pyle, USMC and Bonanza. Why do you get such a short, little, easy thing there? Genetics. <laughs> you said it before I could. 
<laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Joel. That's what I need. Awesome. All right. <laughs> TV coverage this week covered the assassination of U.S. Attorney General and presidential hopeful Robert F. Kennedy, who died at age 42 on June 6th after being shot while walking through the kitchen of the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles. Damn. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, also, Yasmin Amanda Bleeth, born June 14th, is an American former actress. Her movie and television roles include Baywatch, Ryan's Hope, One Life to Live, and Basketball. I love that movie. I know. it's. I watched that movie for the first time with you, Joel. I like it. Yeah. Eh, it's okay. And uh, Bill Burr, American comedian, actor, writer, and podcaster, was born in Canton, Massachusetts. Who? Besides his amazing stand-up specials, he's known for F is for Family, Breaking Bad, Mandalorian. Great show. Are you you done? Yeah. Because I got got shit to say, man. Moo. And the acronym of the week, which is I-S-Y-F-T-W. Good golly. I'm pretty sure that's just, I shit your favorite tidy whities Oh, man. Which is actually the title of one of Bill Burr's comedy specials. You, fi- yeah, you finally nailed one. That's it. That's what they had to So that's on. what scarping is. <laughs> you know? That is actually, I'm sorry you feel that way. One of his stand-up specials. Uh, Bill Burr. Very funny man. man. He is. Very distinctive voice, too. And just very outspoken and very, very much in the in the in the realm of Norm Macdonald as far as like not giving a shit. Yeah, I, I don't think anybody has ever said. I wonder what Bill Burr has to think about to say about this because <laughs> he'll tell you. Yep, and he's actually a pretty good actor too. Mm. All right, moving on to sports. Sports. On June 8th, Don Drysdale pitched a then-record 58th consecutive scoreless inning, which has only been eclipsed once since by Oral Hershiser in 1988. I know those names. Both of those names. Wow, I'm, I'm impressed you know Don Drysdale. The big name. Yeah, he I was think... the banker on the Beverly Hillbillies, wasn't he? <laughs> Mr. Drysdale. No, that's his dad, Mr. Drysdale. Oh, okay, okay. That's Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> no, that's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. <laughs> At the French Open Women's Tennis Finals, held on June 8th, American Nancy Ritchie beat Anne Hayden Jones, 576461. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't ready for the Jones. Anne there, Hayden was it? Jones. Anne Hayden, jo- Anne Hayden Jones. <laughs> For her second and last Grand Slam singles title. The following day at the Men's French Open at an All-Australian final, Ken Rosewall beat Rod Laver. This was the first Grand Slam of the Open era that allowed professional players to compete. Tennis. Tennis. Jones. <laughs> and Hayden Jones. Jones? <laughs> I got the Tennis Jones. Tennis Jones. Oh, baby. And last, Nehemiah Adolphus Perry, born June 16th was a former off-spin cricketer from Jamaica who played four tests in 21 one-day internationals for the West Indies between 1999 and 1000. He was a member of the West Indies squad at the 1999 Cricket World Cup and also represented Jamaica at the 1998 Commonwealth Games. Ah. Ah. He retired from all cricket due to his age and a consistent pain in his wrists in 2004. His best bowling performance of five over seventy, or five—I don't know how to pronounce that correct. What the nomenclature? Five seventieths. We need we need a call from our resident New Zealanders. Is it? It's five slash seventy. How do we pronounce that? Five seventieths. <laughs> I don't think that's right. Why don't they reduce their fractions? Someone call Tennis Jones. <laughs> tennis Jones. Have you seen my cousin Knuckleface? <laughs> Moo. I have to finish this sentence to get us the fuck out of here. 
It's 5 of 70 or whatever. It came on debut against Australia in a famous West Indian victory where Brian Lara scored 213. Hail Satan. <laughs> oh, my God. Play us off, keyboard, Joel. Da, 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 da. So, 1968, a book by the name of Rosemary's Baby was written by a gentleman by the name of Ira Levin. And a uh, young wife comes to believe that her offspring is not of this world. Wayfish Rosemary Woodhouse, played by Mia Farrow, and her struggling actor husband, Guy, uh, John Cassavetes, move to a New York City apartment building with an ominous reputation and odd neighbors, Roman and Minnie Cassavet, played by Sidney Blackmere and Ruth Gordon. Uh, when Rosemary becomes pregnant, she becomes increasingly isolated, and the diabolical truth is revealed only after Rosemary gives birth. Hey, guy. Yeah. Hello, guy. Are you an actor? Um, so, um, what happened to the Edward B. reviews? I couldn't find uh, yeah. any. For some reason, Edward B., who wrote such a poetic review of Cinderella, <laughs> Cinderella Call, last Calling week. it Dookie Water. Yeah. Yeah, it, I don't think this is exactly his speed. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think he was, you know, I couldn't find any really good. Eric the half a B. So this is directed by Roman Polanski. That's about as far as we're going to get into that. You know who he is. You know what he did. Let's just keep moving. Uh, writing credits. He diddled kids. Yeah. That's what he did. Don't diddle kids. So anyway. <laughs> old yeah. Era, uh Looked into his writing credits. Also wrote Death Trap, the Michael Caine and um, Christopher Reeve mystery. Uh, Boys from Brazil, the movie Sliver. And the Stepford Wives. Ah, yes. Sliver, a classic tale. Ugh. Of holes in the walls and cameras in the ceiling. That was a creepy movie. Um, also, playing oh, Rosemary. Oh, wait, Sliver. That was the Alec Baldwin, wasn't it? Yeah, where oh, he had like, I, I, all the I, I TVs. I was thinking Slither with Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, because that's what yeah. he did. He went from writing Rosemary's Baby and the Boys Right, that's what Brazil. I was trying to figure out. Like, why did <laughs> it, like, he wrote that? Like, to what? the James Gunn <laughs> classic. <laughs> Slither. I was very confused for a moment. I'm like, he wrote that? <laughs> Dear Mr. Levine, I loved your movie. <laughs> I just have one question. What? 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 Um, Sounded Mia Farrell. Like Charlie Day. <laughs> I was thinking he was going full Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing Rosemary Woodhouse. John Cassavetes as Guy Woodhouse. Ruth Gordon as Minnie. God, these names. Cassavet. Cassavetes. Cassavetes. As Sidney Blackmare as Roman. Maurice Evans as Hutch. Ralph Bellamy as Dr. Saperstein. I love that I never knew that the character from Parks and Rec was named after the doctor in this. Right? Oh. When I when I saw that in the movie, I was like, Saperstein, no way. That, yeah, yeah cool. and I immediately went to Google it, and it, it's absolutely a reference. Wow. Talk about, a, talk about a time bomb of a joke there. So Victoria Vetti as Terry. Patsy Kelly as Laura Louise. Elisha Cook Jr. as Mr. Nicholas. I was super excited to see Elisha Cook Jr. Uh, like, if you guys don't know him, like, he is a, uh, he's almost always a gunsel who is either uh, mild-mannered or incompetent or both. I remember him best as the guy in the Maltese Falcon yep. where Bogey smacks him around, takes his gun away, and when he gives it back to the... Uh, the fat man was like, yeah, blind newsy took it away from him. I didn't want him to hurt it. He hurt himself. Hmm. <laughs> um, his something about this guy, his final uh, acting thing was uh, on Magnum P.I. 
the 1988 ah, version. He I played, know that. Yeah, he played Francis Icepick Hofstetler. Yeah, I am a huge fan of this guy. And he played like super bookish characters for the beginning of his career. And like right from the beginning, like I want to say in the 40s, he got cast as a gunsel once. And he was a bad guy for almost the entire rest of his career. Nice. Was that was that Ice Pick character? Was that a bad guy? Um, Might have been. Oh, wait, he had a couple other ones. He, he played Wilmer and Harold W. Farber also. He was in 13 different episodes, but it looks like the majority of them, he was all... Yeah, the majority of them, he was Ice Pick Hoffs. All Ice Pick all day? Yeah, all Ice Pick all day. So air I guess day, air was... day. What <laughs> <laughs> was that? That was straight dookie water. <laughs> so we also have Emmeline Henry as Elise Dunstan, Charles Grodin... The great Charles Grodin. The Dr. young Hill. Charles Grodin. I know, right? Paging Dr. Grodin. I maybe want to go back and watch um, Seems Like Clifford. Old Times. Oh. Really? That's what you go to? Clifford? Well, at least he didn't go to Problem Child. That, that was my true. next one. Oh, my God. Uh, this is what happens when you give you time off. We leave you alone for a week, and then you come back and you're all, like, snippy. You need to be smacked down again. Uh, Hannah Landy as Grace Cardiff, Phil Leeds as Dr. Shane. Those of you listening, that's a little insight into Mike's parenting philosophy. <laughs> you need to be smacked no. down a little. <laughs> a little bit of his being a child philosophy. <laughs> Derville no. Martin as Diego, Hope Summers as Mrs. Gilmore, Mar- Mar- Marianne Gordon as Rosemary's girlfriend, along with Wendy Wagner, also Rosemary's girlfriend. Uh, according to Mia Farrow in the trivia, the scenes where Rosemary walks in front of traffic were spontaneous and genuine. Rowan Polanski is reported to have told her, you're pregnant. No one's going to hit a pregnant woman. <laughs> he said, wow. who could have seen such misogyny coming from Roman Polanski? Right. right. No one's going to hit a pregnant woman. Just walk into the street. No one's going to hit you. No one's going to hit you but me. Uh, so <laughs> if you don't do it. <laughs> Roman Polanski actually shot the scene with a handheld camera because everybody else was like, nope, not doing it, you know. So he went out there and did it. Well, at least he risked his own ass along with hers. I know. Before the filming of the scene of Rosemary, uh, before filming of the scene, Rosemary calling Donald Baumgart, the actor in the story who mysteriously goes blind, Mia Farrow did not know who would be speaking the lines. It was that of Tony Curtis. And in the scene, Pharaoh shows slight confusion, unable to place the voice. This is exactly what Roman Polanski wanted and had him uh, had Tony Curtis come in and do the voice lines just to throw her off. Huh. That's a fun little trick. And of all people, though, Tony Curtis, not even well, in the movie, not even in the movie. But, you know, the thing is, though, his voice is so recognizable True. that you would know who it was, but not but you because you think in your brain who you're talking to. Is this Tony Curtis calling? Me? Is this Harvey Firestein? <laughs> <laughs> Rosemary, Rosemary, the baby, the baby, <laughs> get the baby. Oh, my God. How can so we be you, off so, the rails? Yeah. So that's an impression you can do. No, yeah, that, was that was terrible. That, that was not bad. No, it really wasn't that bad. He doesn't sound that great to begin with. It's a lot with, better though. than your Woody Allen. Hail Satan. <laughs> so many scenes are shot in one continuous unbroken take or with minimal cuts in an unnoticeable way, such as the opening scene where Rosemary and Guy first tour their apartment only had two cuts. The laundry room scene only had one and the let's have a baby scene, New Year's Eve party, the Rosemary and Guy's argument after the party and Rosemary getting an unfortunate phone call. Uh, a ton of them all were just like one continuous cut for each scene. Which is really kind of cool. It's kind of led easier to watch 
I guess kind of like like watching was a little bit more eye na- natural eye movement. And it's not relying on like just herky jerky movements to make you you know to get you unsettled and uncomfortable. They're, they did you know did a good job of using music and atmosphere and and camera shots and angles and things like that to build the, the tension and the suspense. Mm-hmm. Well, that's now. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that's one of the wonderful things about this is that it's very methodically paced, slow burn. So when the the little things that do happen happen, it really throws you off. So when I saw the trivia, I got super happy because I did a super deep dive on this movie. Nice. And turned up some crazy, crazy things. Uh, First off, uh, this is all going to come together into one point about this being talked about as the cursed movie. Uh, First off, the lead originally, when before Mia Farrow got cast, uh, there was someone else who wanted the role. And of uh, my brain is uh, it, it was um, Harvey Firestein. No, <laughs> no, I, she uh, murdered. She was yeah. Sharon she Tate. Was, Sharon, Sharon Tate. Tate. Yeah. Sharon Tate, who was living with uh, Roman Polanski, married to him at the time, desperately wanted the role, and she's actually visible in an uncredited cameo in the Young People Only party uh, at one or two points. Hmm. So we know what happened to her, and we know what happened to Roman. Uh, in, in addition to that, the guy who did the score. Uh, shortly after the film came out, fell off a mountain into a coma and died. Yikes. Uh, The producer apparently was so bullied by death threats from people who listened to the uh, Catholic excommunication of Levin and the producers. uh, He was driven out of Hollywood entirely. And then coming back around, oh, Mia Farrow, before I get to the most interesting one, Mia Farrow, uh, she was married to Frank Sinatra at the time who didn't want her acting. But despite the fact he wanted her to kill her career to live with him, uh, he had her cast in another role for one of his movies. When this ran long and she didn't show up to do one of his films, he had her served for divorce papers in front of the cast and crew. Yeah. Which almost shut down production. And then finally coming back around to Sharon Tate and Roman Polanski, uh, this initiated after the Manson murders of Tate at the Polanski home, a crazy like, oh, my God, did Roman Polanski really do this selling his wife's soul and all this murder Satanism stuff to this cult? Uh, and the words helter skelter were of course found at the scene of Sharon Tate's murder, which is why it's crazy that right across the street from where this film was shot is also where John Lennon was shot. No, uh, the, with the uh, external pictures of that they used for the outside of the building is where John Lennon was when they shot. So it wasn't yes. across the street. It was, it was the building that they were supposedly supposed to be in. Yeah, maybe they did the interiors across the street. I I, I, just, I read that and I was like, I thought it was the building. But it was wild yeah. how it comes full sh- uh, circle from uh, Sharon Tate through Manson back around to the Beatles, all associated with the curse of this film. Yeah, and did you know that there's also a cult leader in the movie? A real-life cult leader? Yeah. I missed that one. Uh, by the name of Jamie Gomez. Huh. He's in the in the Young People Party there the, the camera pans across he's wearing like like a white turtleneck or a white shirt or something like that and he looks directly at the camera he's like on the left hand side um he was a leader of a cult in the 80s called the buddha field and it, it was done if you look there's a documentary called holy hell oh i've heard of that one yeah yeah it's all about his cult 
Yeah. Ira Levin was apparently about the only person who escaped the curse. And people who know him uh, said that even he didn't completely escape it in that when he did the book, it blew up huge immediately, like declared as the perfect horror novel. And after seeing the impact of the satanic panic that he believed he was partially responsible for, he never took any joy in his success. And on the 50th anniversary, he wrote a cash out sing, uh, sequel which got panned and immediately forgotten. He took the check because it still went bestseller. Yeah. I actually thought the premise of the, uh, the follow-up book was interesting. And uh, according to the um, 2014 version that we'll talk about later, the, they, they use that for part of that film or that series, but I didn't see any evidence of it. One of the things that I thought was neat, I was, I was, I did a little bit of a deep dive on this one also, Josh, and I started watching some of these, uh, um, YouTube uh, things that that talk about how the filming went. And it said that all the scenes are either filmed looking directly at Rosemary or, or from Rosemary's eyes, like from her perspective. Hmm. Yeah, she's pretty much in, in all the scenes. That's interesting. Yeah. But no, it's, I mean, a lot of it is, I think the most frightening thing about it is the kind of like it could happen here type of thing. Like everything's so hunky dory. This is so uh, like this fear about um, modern living was one of the themes that they were supposedly exploring on this, and how you never really know your neighbors and that sort of thing. But and I don't know their relationship was ever hunky dory. Yeah, <laughs> like maybe he not was hunky-dory. kind of a piece of shit from the beginning, and I found myself uh, very uncomfortable the way they were interacting with each other, even when things seemed kind of fine. He was a very domineering man, and and. I, I mean, just just a little bit too straightforward. Like that one, the one moment in the film after she cuts her hair, and he's like, "Worst mistake you ever made was that haircut." I'm like, "Jesus, dude!" <laughs> yeah, I know. So we we pass by a uh, traditional question for these sorts of films. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, oh yeah. I, and I mention it because uh, we assumed that this was not the first viewing for anyone, and it turns out it was the first viewing ever for me. I thought I'd seen this, but my brain was mashing up scenes from The Exorcist with scenes from the omen and telling me i'd already seen rosemary's baby and i'd never seen it before yesterday it's all for you damien it's all for you (laughs) wait no rosemary it's all for you this this could have been my first viewing because i hadn't seen it in so long really see this is for me it's it's top 25 greatest tour films of all time uh there this is the second film in the last 10 years that has made me reevaluate my top five nice yeah and I know Patrick's a fan. That's kind of the reason that I had picked it is because he had such a uh, uh, he was he was excited about the prospect of it. And uh, I I'll take any any reason to watch this movie again. Yeah, I'm so I mean, glad this, we this, did this. This is one of the first horror movies that I've ever I ever saw as a kid. I I I think I was 12 or 11 or 12 when I saw it. And I really I mean even with the slower pacing and everything, I really liked it because I in my opinion this is this movie is a masterpiece of of setting and and of, and just of of mood and suspense. That's what's the, it? that's my basic review of it off the top of my head before we start delving into it, but yeah. And what's frustrating about it is that now with the whole Polanski thing, it kind of it taints it a little bit because uh, I mean, bit. well, but I mean like things like 
like Jeepers Creepers, you know, the whole thing with. I mean, you. In my opinion, in my opinion, you just you just Woody Allen. It's it. You pretty much have to separate art from artist all the time because otherwise you're just not going to be able to enjoy anything ever because nobody's perfect and everybody's an asshole. And you like, at what point do you say somebody's body of work is good enough to ignore the pack? They're a piece of shit. Just don't even. I mean, if you go down that road, you're just gonna yeah. You're gonna have the only thing you could watch are things that you make yourself. You can watch your home videos and then. Oh no, I'm a piece of shit too. So yeah, if I did that. I wouldn't. I mean, I can't watch anything I make. Cast wouldn't have even been made. This guy, Mike Teske, is a real asshole. I can't watch any of his shit. I think for me, the line is probably like, "Does me supporting something give them social capital today to hurt somebody tomorrow?" Like Roman Polanski, that's not really a thing anymore. Like you're not going to like give him power to go hurt another woman. Yeah. But so, there, I mean, it's it's yeah. it's not like your abstinence is going to keep him from doing it. I get the point. I I, I you know I get the the moral reason for it, but it's like it's just some some people are just not going to care. It's just that's right. just you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chris Brown is still going to sell out stadiums. We're going yeah. down the wrong rabbit hole here. Exactly. Sorry, sorry, I drove the bus the wrong way. <laughs> let's let's turn that let's around. Back this up. Beep beep beep. Uh, let's take the keys away from both of you and talk good about this God. movie because this movie is too good for this bullshit. <laughs> But yeah, guy is a real asshole. Is a short version. Oh yeah, of, of what we were just trying to say. In, in he's that dismissive of everything that she says. It, I mean, he's he, he raped her and immediately her. joked about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, that's... like his, his whole philosophy on it was was like, yes. Yeah, so you're passed out. So what? Shut up. <laughs> It was that's, actually kind of fun in a necrophile sort of way. What, dude? You know? Yeah, like it's so disturbing that whole scene after that. He's like, like yeah, man, whatever. <laughs> so, so I gave you a little rape. Shut up. He's he is definitely the villain. Like Lucifer is not the villain. He's he's not the most interesting one because most of the in your face betrayals and controlling actions are through Guy. Yeah, Lucifer is just a guy that wants an heir. Right. And that's the thing is like the the whole satanic stuff, like it is not a far jump to believe that this dude is going to further fuck with his wife in order to advance his flagging acting career. Yeah, he's 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 willing to not only like let her be gang raped by Satan and his cronies, but also just, just to further his career, but also just gaslight the shit out of her all the time. Yeah, I found every moment of this uncomfortable enough that it was actually compelling. And if it wasn't so off-putting, just from the environment that was created, the way the shots were together, the way they spoke to each other, it would have been boring. But it's a neat trick that making me uncomfortable is what made it compelling. Well, and there's definitely a big difference between this guy and then the modern guy. Because you're what you guys had kind of said, he he really doesn't have any second thought about doing any of it. It's oh, we'll, like, we'll return to that. Yeah, it's it's all him. Um, it, it's pretty clear he agreed very quickly. Yeah. One of the things that I, I always appreciated about this movie, and when, when I was watching it with Laura uh, a couple, couple nights ago, it just re- reminded me again, is the casting of the neighbors is brilliant. Because you're taking all of these older actors, a lot of them were TV or uh, film stars that were kind of always the nice the nice ones or the comedic ones or whatever. And you're kind of turning them on their head so that it kind of gives you an automatic built-in false sense of security uh, that these are the good guys. These are nice people. Ruth Gordon is very, was very good at playing Minnie as somebody who is only, 
she's only curious and she's only nosy. She's not harmful by any stretch, you know. Well, with I was just going to bring her up with the Ruth Gordon thing is when uh, Sinatra showed up and was doing the divorce paper thing to Mia Farrow. She Mia Farrow wanted to drop the movie and go back and run back to Frank and fix things, but the, uh, the the production team was like, no, 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 you do this movie, you are you're gonna get the Oscar, you will win the Oscar for this movie. She was never even nominated. Ruth Gordon won an Oscar for this movie. Wow. And from that point on, this kind of made her like kind of gave her new theme for her acting career where she started to have that kind of uh, face out. Busybody role? Yeah, the busybody role type of thing. You know, she was in uh, New Heart. She was in a bunch of other stuff. She was uh, every which way but loose, you know. Right, Taryn Clyde. Right. But um, that kind of launched her career into another whole nother direction after this one. And poor Mia Farrow getting bad advice all over the place. She went on to have an okay career, though. <laughs> she did all right. She and did she all right. She was brilliant in this. Mm-hmm. Uh, just every moment of uh, from her being so sheltered that it was easy for every person in her life to control her, make decisions about her behind her back, to her instincts as a woman and a mother eventually paying off and telling her like what's really going on uh, until they backfire on her in the final scene. Which I know there's going to be a lot of of modern film watchers and even some probably then that are going to say that, you know, we didn't really see anything. I don't care what you say. The look that she gives at the end, you don't need to see any more than what you did to understand exactly what she was looking at. Yeah. All you see is a flash of the eyes. Yep. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have had a better look at, at something, though. I'm not saying it was necessary. I, I think what it would have been a better ending would have been if she picked the baby up and held it like, you know, like she embraced it. And then you like, pan down and see that it's got cloven legs or something. Yeah, well, but it, if that uh, special effects didn't look great, it would have ruined the ending. It would have made it unintentionally funny. Well, right. Like rape, yeah. Rapey Satan wasn't exactly... You know. The best, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. But now, what I what I want to say real quick is the only thing I would change about this movie if I were if if I were in charge of it, I would have made it less. I would have made it much more ambiguous as to whether she was losing her mind or this was really happening. Because at, you know the reveal at the end, like okay, yeah, this is all real, would have hit home a little bit harder on this rewatch. Because I mean, I mean, yeah, of course, knowing what what the result was, but like, I just felt like they made it too clear early on that no, she's not crazy. This is really happening. And like I just think the it rape was, scene. Yeah, yeah, I think it just Literally. would have been a better movie if 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 it was just less less obvious that she's not crazy. Leave it more ambiguous for the whole thing. Yeah, to where you don't know if they're actually gaslighting her or if she's just going nuts. Yeah. Now, what you were talking about the whole sex with sex with the devil thing. Um, the devil was played by a guy by the name of Clay Tanner. And in interviews, Mia Farrow said that, it, you know, they had to do the shot so many times and he was buck naked, like he was naked on top of me, writhing every time they were doing the shot. And she said they would finish the shot. He would stand up. It's a pleasure working with you, Miss Farrow, and then just disappear. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else can you do? I mean, there were, there were a lot more boobies in this movie than I remembered. Hail Satan. <laughs> I just don't, I don't remember, because that's how good this movie was to me as a kid, as a horror movie, because as a kid, I saw that many boobies in this movie, and I didn't even remember it. Wow. That you really were invested in this. 
Huh. So yeah, it it doesn't have like the same you know kind of feel like modern movies, and it's not just a matter of like the 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 generational pacing. It's just it's intentionally made to be a slow burn type of movie, and those kind of movies just don't really get made anymore because they're just not going to find an audience. Mm-hmm. That's a shame. But you know, we talk about a lot on this show about seventies pacing, and you know, well, this was what sixty eight, but still close enough. Um. I feel like it had 70s pacing, but not in a derogatory kind of way. Like it needed the pacing it had to be successful as a film. Not unlike The Exorcist, which has a similar pacing to it. But I think The Exorcist, you know, it's my that's my number one horror movie personally. Mine too. It's still the scariest movie I've ever seen. Uh, but it's they're very similar in feel to me in terms of from a filmmaking aspect. This is probably now my number three or four. I have to give it a couple days uh, of distance before I give it a permanent spot, but it's definitely top five. Wow. That makes me happy. Like, legit. It's in my top ten. It's it's number eight. I don't know where it would sit for me. I have to think about it. Well, you sit on it. Hey. Yeah, and I know I in my top ten, and there are, like, five movies you didn't even like, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right. I think we've... Uh... Rock this baby enough? Have we already? Wow. Have we? Oh, um, that one lady with the glasses was a horrible actress. I just want to point that out. She was the one only weak, the weak part of the whole the, the knitting friend. She the was one, the, fine until the last scene. The one where she was rocking the shit out of the baby. That that is the only scene in which I thought she was a little dodgy. The rest of the film, she was fine. God, it feels like there was something else, but and they yeah. were all sort of chewing the scenery. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you you'd gotten little flashes from Roman earlier where he's talking about religion and the Pope, but like he is full throated. Uh, God is dead. Satan is alive. Hail Satan! Very, Hail Satan! Very operatic. So I I think everyone was sort of climbing the walls in that scene. And I thought he was Hal Holbrook at first before I looked him up. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. In the first scene, I was like, holy shit, is that Hal Holbrook? And by the way, I would never want to live in that kind of apartment complex. <gasps> oh, I would, well, I was dying for it. I was like, I would love to live in one place like that. What about, think about this, Patrick, okay? You go to the store to get your groceries, and you got to carry them. First of all, you probably don't have a car. Second, you got to carry them from the grocery store. Then you got to go down the long entryway to the front door, then go all the way down to the elevator, then take the elevator up, yeah, then all the way down to the elevator. describing New York life. That's- I know. I, yeah. It's just, it's it's a lot I'm not, of... I'm not saying, you know, that I would love it, but I would adjust to it, I'm sure. And that apartment is, like, bigger than my house. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. It was freaking huge. 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 It is huge. I mean, not sell your baby to the devil. No. Good. I don't know. They're I mean, pretty good. babies are assholes sometimes. Yeah, but... So, I mean, but, and, a, but and a nice apartment in Manhattan is hard to find, especially with what rent are we, What are we talking about right now? This is insane. Rent control. <laughs> I don't know. You know what? You know what? It kind of reminded me of uh, of Friends. Dennis's apartment. Oh, <laughs> at the 100%. Bond Villa. Yeah, the Bond Villa. If you if this had taken place and found out that it was in the Bond Villa in Oak Park, I'd been like, makes total sense. That place was haunted. <laughs> that that is true. Dennis will tell stories. Or my apartment in Rogers Park. That one was haunted too. Josh had video proof for a while. By the ghosts of girlfriends past. No, his, 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 his. Yeah, we, uh, we, we saw some orbs and stuff on our, uh, filming. And I have stories about that apartment so, too. Messed up place. Yep. You see these orbs Maybe while you were hanging idea. out with Buddy Guy? <laughs> Different apartment. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Think we're good? 
Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. I'm sure I'll think of something more. And there's more to talk about with this, but in comparison to the, the next one. 100%. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the remake for TV. Seemed like Rosemary's Baby with uh, Zoe Saldinia. And back in a little bit. talk about the 2017 14 14 14 2014 rosemary's baby yes same whole plot same whole idea couple moving to a new new town this time in france because it's fancy oh can't trust those frenchmen and uh the whole shebang happens again except this time around this is a directed by aneska holland who has done some other interesting stuff i i forgot what it was that she the other thing she did something called europa europa and yes. a movie called her number one known for is something called spoor and has a picture of a wolf on it those hmm. things don't come together very easily yeah an elderly woman lives alone in the cloud skull valley where a series of mysterious crimes are committed she's convinced that she knows who or what is a murderer but nobody believes her bum, bum, bum. i'd heard of in darkness as well in, I haven't heard of In Darkness, though. I'm that's looking one, this up here. Yeah, that's one that has the two kids crawling out of the sewer on it. Yeah, it's uh, about like uh, Jewish refugees getting out of uh, Poland. Oh, okay. Uh, on the other side of things, she does a lot of TV series stuff. So she's written four episodes of House of Cards. She's done um, Cold Case, The Wire, uh, the something called Ekipa. Oh, it's all in Polish, so... Don't know what that is. I thought, I thought you thought you read Polish. Gonna say, yeah. You give me a Polish word, like nine times out of ten, I'll be able to say it. Doesn't mean I know what the hell it means. But you can't read the literature. No, seriously. Probably so, about potatoes or something. <laughs> All right. So Scott Abbott did the teleplay on this one. Uh, he has also been the writer for such things as the uh, Queen of Darkness, something called uh, Winchell, and the teleplay for the TV movie for Watcher in the Woods. Hmm. Yeah, there's a remake we could do, wasn't there? Watcher in the Woods, old uh, Disney flick. I'm pretty sure there was. I do not know. <laughs> then the other writer on this was James Wong, who has a ton of television writing from going all the way back to, geez, Night Watch, Twenty One Jump Street, Space Above and Beyond, Millennium. Oh, there's a TV oh, series. Love that show. Ripe for a remake. So good. Uh, the Lone Gunman, all the way up to now, he's been writing for American Horror Story and did some of the uh, new X Files also. Wow! Yeah, some good stuff in there. Yeah, he's got some got some chops. So it's Zoe Salads. <laughs> well, before we get to the cat, before we Joey get Pants and Zoe Salads. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> and we got Lucy Cheesesteak. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So Zoe well, Saldina, Saldana, Saldana, yeah. Rosemary Woodhouse, Patrick J. Adams as Guy Woodhouse, Carol Bouquet as Margot Cassave, Christina Cole as Julie, Jason Isaacs in his creepiest as Roman, Oliver. Mm, he, he's, he's been creepy in quite a few things in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like leaning into it recently, isn't he? 
uh, Oliver Radborin as Commissioner Fontaine and Francois Seville as Jacques. Now, the only trivia that I had on this was that old Zoe Saldana was the first and only choice for the role of Rosemary Woodhouse. And the second trivia is Zoe Saldana produces a miniseries with her two sisters, Cicely and Mariel. I'm not saying those two things are connected, <clears throat> but that's not, some, uh, not connected. Yes. That's <laughs> some uh, g- good trivia there. It's good yeah. trivia. This was filmed in France, and Jason Isaacs rubs a pregnant woman's belly in the bath. Yeah, I mean. As you do. I think the biggest problem with this is that it's not set in the 1960s. Every major complaint I have, aside from one, uh, is kind of ripple effect from it not being in the 60s. Because it's not in the 60s, Rosemary doesn't approach situations the same way because it doesn't make sense. Uh, Mm. Rosemary of the 60s is not a character that would exist in modern day. Because of that, they adjust Guy's behavior and end up making him shitty, but sort of like, I don't know, like giving him an out? They make him much more sympathetic. Right. Mm -hmm. And the result of his behavior, the like, if you were given all this temptation, you were put into these dire situations, might you not do the same is a legit question for this guy, where not the original guy is like, could you ever be like this? Fuck no is my answer. I mean, like, he kind of covers up the fact that he was part of the rapiness by having his own scratches, but then immediately following it, doesn't want anything to do with his wife uh, in any capacity for quite a while and seems to kind of be second guessing his decisions on the whole. Right. And at the beginning, he is very much more reluctant slash forced into it and seems to be a good guy until... And that is a very different take on the character, and I think a less effective one. Agreed. Yeah, I, d- I did not care for the the guy of this this world. I I also felt like the the neighbors, because they were closer to their age in some regards, um, they felt like they were more attractive, sexy people versus you know mm-hmm. the old people next door. Yeah, yeah. There was there was yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say there. There was more of a we're versus the first one where we're hanging out with you. And we're coming, you know, we're having dinner with you because you're the nice, nice couple next door. You're kind of, you know, friendly to us, that sort of thing. And it was a temptation of this is the world that we would want to be in, type of thing. Right, and that's the thing is where the first one is a quiet meditation on like when trust is broken in the home and when men make decisions about women's bodies behind their backs. This one is trying to tell a different story about like institutional power and wealth <clears throat> and what horrible things people will do to get it slash keep it once they have and like i get what they were going for but it didn't it didn't hit the same for me i I I agree i think one other big misstep they made like i will constantly defend remakes for x y or z but if you lose the point of what made the original special i'm gonna not be happy with you and one thing i noticed from the original is we see everything through the filter of it's only what rosemary experiences she's in every scene it's her point of view even if we're not looking through her eyes there were a lot of scenes in this where she was not in it we're giving information that she didn't have and i think overall the work suffered for it yeah because in in the original because you only see things from her eyes you get the feeling of 
everything closing in around you. You start, because that's the only view that you have, you start falling in rhythm with her of getting gaslighted and all this. Having like conversations with um, Jason Isaacs and the, uh, uh, the police commissioner, you know, that having that go off. I mean, if they had ended it with him hanging up and her not knowing who he was talking to, you know, there's a lot of exposure to things going outside that kind of ruined the whole feel of the film, what the feel of the film should have been. And how is it that this miniseries, which ran about three hours, I feel like there was less that I was given in a longer amount of time. Like, I felt there was a lot more that happened in the the original film, which, granted, it was about two and a half hours, but it felt like a much meatier, fuller film than this two-part, three-hour miniseries did. It, it was strange. Patrick, what do you think about this, since you are a fan? I think I this was. movie did exactly what Josh said. Um, it, it did the classic Jacob's Ladder, where, you, you know, you remake it and make it look a little bit flashier, and you rewrite a couple of small little things, and... You just kind of take the heart out of it, and you made a remake, yeah, but you you kind of lost the the feel and the meaning and the and the overall vibe. And um, just as a personal one scene note, like the entire scene of the commissioner driving his car and having the hallucinations and whatever it was that was leaking through the ceiling and and whatever was getting in his eyes and his bloody like and that music they were playing, the whole scene it, it took me completely out of it. It was completely like cartoonish, Benny Hillish almost. And I'm just like, at what point do you just like not pull over and just get out of the car and be like, right? what's going yeah. on here? Yeah, especially considering all of the other witch spells were in some ways more uh, random acts of violence uh, than the original movie, where it's like, oh, shit, somebody went crazy and now they're dead. Oh, she slipped and now she's dead, as opposed to uh, I went blind and in a coma. Uh, almost feels like a curse. And then you get this one, which goes the other direction, it, like buries the needle in like, holy shit, this must be supernatural because mm -hmm. what the fuck else could it be? Right. And it just, it, there was so much like just over the topness in, in the gratuitous violence. I mean, I don't care about gratuitous mm -hmm. violence. It just didn't seem necessary. Like the whole surgery operation scene, like just have him just die normally. It's, you know, like it just, I don't know, like the exploding man chest thing. Yeah. Was just, it, it wasn't that it was too that gory. It just whole... didn't make sense. I was just like, what? Well, I mean, they leaned to that for the horror instead of the psychological. Mm -hmm. Right. It was almost. It felt like a combination of Rosemary's Baby and Final Destination. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good consensus, right there. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. Yeah, here's somebody hey. that got in their way. I wonder how they're going to blow up this time. You know, it's hail Satan? Question mark. Um, yeah. I had no problem with the acting uh, in general. I thought Zoe Saldana was excellent. Uh, Jason Isaacs killed, especially when she and... thought she thought she lost the second child. Oh, that was yeah. that was heartbreaking. Like, and it's a shame. Like, had this not been a remake of Rosemary's Baby, with the exception of a couple scenes, mostly like you said, the police inspector in the car. There's a good movie in here somewhere. If this had not been a direct remake, if it had been more like False Positive, where it's clearly inspired by Rosemary's Baby, but not a direct remake, it might have been okay. How many times do we say that in these in these shows? Well, uh, I mean, it it's I think it's a theme in the remakes where they maybe have a idea for a movie and they find a way that they can kind of cram in. Yeah, they shoehorn in a couple items from a previous stuff and hoping that people are like, hey, remember that thing? That's that other thing. Let's watch the new thing about the thing. Trying to get that 
group or a bunch of yahoos that watch remakes for a podcast and get the get the watches you know well, it's it's a thing hollywood does a lot though they'll they'll come across a script and be like oh oh well we really need a part four for this franchise. Can we work this and make it into part four, even though it has nothing to do with it and takes place in an underground space dungeon? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so gone with the wind too. Got it. All right. Yeah. You know, even it, windier. <laughs> um, and I have to say the thing that, that I love so much about the original, the ending, they just completely like, I just, ugh, I didn't like it. I, I, I the baby's eyes weren't terrifying enough. Right. You see the baby. The baby's all cute. And the eyes are turning blue and then turn normal and then turn blue. And then she's like, you know, I'm lactating. And then she like takes the baby out for a walk and they live happily ever after. Hail Satan. You know, it's it, I don't know. I, di- I just did not. I didn't care for it at all. Yeah. The ending. There was no ambiguity to anything that was going on. It was 100%, You again, like you knew what was happening. You knew that she was being gaslit. You know, this apartment has so many freaking secret doors. The deaths were telegraphed so quickly. So, you know, like you knew, oh, this is the, now the now the police chief's going to die. Now her friend's going to die. You know, it's, there wasn't any tension. And all the horror that should have been created from tension on just the whole scenario was pushed to gore. you know gore you know hot oil in the face and hitting your head on the corner of a table yeah i've worked in a, a ton of restaurant kitchens and i've never once died and not there's even, been not a couple kitchens there's been a couple kitchens where people were actively trying to kill you too so i mean that's <laughs> he's not wrong but yeah i um i've been on fire in the kitchen once that that was a fun story he's on fire <laughs> and that didn't Wait. kill me it made but, you stronger. Uh, it's just, yeah, I don't know. It just, it just it, it's it's yeah. it's exactly what we just said. It, what we said it is. It's just a heartless remake of a movie that just had a lot of extra stuff added, but didn't add anything of substance. Right. I mean, the switch to uh, criticizing uh, the wealthy and institutional power is fine, but it's been done so many more times before, more intelligently. Uh, it just it, it was not anything new. And I think if you're going to make these sorts of changes, you don't just go, okay, what wouldn't work in 2016, 2017, whenever we're setting this from a story from the 60s, and then the only writing you do is writing around those changes, otherwise keeping it the same. And I don't know, I was conflicted the whole time because the performances were good. The uh, filmmaking was actually pretty decent. Uh, I don't know. I, I like I the set was good. The, the the building was gorgeous. I mean, the, the set was nice. The creepy decision elevator to was go cool. down into uh, the catacombs. It's a well used trope in horror. Uh, you you're guaranteed if you're going to have horror in Paris, you're going to see those fucking catacombs. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't know. Uh, it, it averages out. To, I, I didn't like it very much. But I, I can't summon any serious negative emotion, which unfortunately makes it not super fun to talk about. Well, because it was beautiful to look at, and there were some things that were positive about it, but it there was nothing new that it brought to the story. There was nothing different that it brought to the story. If anything, it took away the things that made the original film so good. To me, it felt like Zoe Saldana wanted to make a softcore porn film. Wait, what? She like she wanted to make softcore porn. Like that's what it felt like. Like it was just that's all a, like that's sex. a weird fucking take, dude. Well, no, yeah, I'm just I'm not sure I'm, you're going with that one. I'm not like serious about like, but it was like there, there was just so much sexiness in this, but no actual nudity. It was like all just safe sexy. 
Okay, I get it. Where, where it. there was actually like less explicit than the original, but tried to ramp up the eroticism. Exactly. Anyway. Yeah. Exactly. Like it was just okay. a weird feel to the whole thing. Like made for ABC Red Shoe Diaries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Now, see, that's one of the things that I wrote on my notes was it seems like this was written by somebody who got the Cliff Notes version. You know, did the this is a movie written by the guy who who only read the Cliff Notes. Jimmy, give me yeah. the Cliff Notes for this one, okay? That's, Thanks. That's pretty much it. They kind of got the they kind of got it. You know, it's a C. It's a it's like a book report done by a C student. <laughs> that's you, like you, the most appropriate thing you could have said. You kind of got the theme. You kind of picked up on it. If you had really paid more attention to the book, you would have gotten a lot more gotten more out of it. That's that's it. The best thing I can say about this is because it is a remake, we did this on the show, so I got to finally see the original. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go if, which... if they hadn't made this, I wouldn't have seen the original because I would have lived the rest of my life believing I'd already seen it. That's yeah. pretty funny. I, I don't hate uh, that, that I watched other than it. That, other than that haircut, that's the worst mistake you ever made not seeing this movie. Yikes. <laughs> but yeah, it certainly wasn't a, a good thing overall. No. And I wish, I mean... It's always it's always fun when we all agree that something sucks. Hail Satin. Yeah, it's just when there, yep. there was uh, we've already gone through the only scenes that sucked enough to be worth talking about. We didn't even get a good Hail Satan at the end. Yeah, they were all kind of like yeah. We got we got, got, we got a Hail Rosemary, but no Hail Satans. Very nope. disappointing. Not the All right, so uh, I guess we go to thumbs up. Not thumbs today, down. Satan. What? Oh, sorry. Uh, I'll start with the thumbs up for the original and. I mean, I guess I gotta go thumbs down on the on the remake. You know, it just it wasn't it it, it wasn't like horrible, but it just wasn't good. Uh, I'm the same. Massive, massive thumbs up for the original. Uh, I'd never seen it before, and it uh, reevaluated like my understanding of what good horror is because I didn't think there was something this old that deserved a top five spot for me, and I was wrong. Uh, but the the other one is like, yeah, I guess I go thumbs down. I, I I almost don't bother to raise my thumb or lower it. But I guess if I have to choose, it's down. Yeah. Can can we have an eh as a vote? That's as it's close to a thumb sideways as he's ever gone. Yeah. Joel, I tried to you? do one thumbs up, one thumbs down, and you, you vetoed me. Oh. <laughs> uh it's definitely a, a a huge double triple thumbs up for the original and a thumbs down for the remake. Yeah, not to say that I'm going along with everybody, but thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, just it is what it is. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So uh, if you have any thoughts on uh, this year's lineup for Octobu or previous oh. Octobus. I just thought of the last thing I wanted to say. The anagram reveal was much better in the original than in the second one. Like, I do more... appreciate that they used the Scrabble tiles in both, though. Yeah, but I mean, I, it, it was definitely much better in the first one when they showed her working through a couple different things. And, and then this one, she just immediately like, oh, yeah, there it is. And they don't even bother showing it. Just They focused on her face the whole time, and yeah, it was just much better you, handling it. You did remind me of one other thing, though, is Julie was a strict downgrade from Hutch. I agree with uh, that, yeah. All damn witches. <laughs> So if you have your thoughts about Rosemary's Baby, uh, this year's Octobu lineup, previous year's Octobu lineups, uh, give us a call. Let us know at 708-NOW-RAP. That's 708-669-9727. 
Yep. And if you're looking for our older stuff, again, you can find us on Podbean or Pandora, where you can give us a thumbs up. We are on Apple, Google, and Amazon Podcasts. And you can also, if you like, support the show through clicking the Kofi link in the show notes and help us keep hosting costs at bay. Joel, what do we got lined up for the rest of Octobu? All right. Uh, so we're going to be talking about Candyman, 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 Candy Kern. No, uh, we're going to be talking about Candyman, uh, the brand new Muppets Haunted Mansion versus the Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion. Yeah, we're going there. And finally, the brand new I Know What You Did Last Summer series that's hitting uh, Amazon Prime on the 15th and the original Kevin Williamson film that uh, was kind of the sister movie to Scream. Nice. So there you have the first week of the horror-laden month that it is. And uh, we will be back next week. Thank you for listening. <laughs> I don't scrap till you get enough. I survive. I can't do but do. I don't scrap till you get enough.